welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 206, BGG Hotness. We'd like to thank our brand new Patreon producers, John, Jericho, and Torgair. You guys rock. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, big news, super big news, exciting news this week. We finally did it. We hit our goal. Board Gamers Anonymous is finally going to be able to do what Board Gamers Anonymous always wanted to do. Give away games to everybody and just, you know, bring more people into the hobby. You know, it's 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 a it's a bit of an addiction thing that we that we do each and every week. Yes, we have to help you all with your acquisition disorders or maybe just pass off our own a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) If you guys have been paying attention, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash BGA and Recently, we've mentioned this a lot because we've gotten really close to one of the goals we set earlier in 2018, and that was if we hit a certain amount there on Patreon, we would start running contests on a very regular basis every week. And we just just hit it like two days ago. One of those three backers that Chris mentioned at the top of the episode helped us get over the line. All of them actually helped us get over the line. But So now we are going to do that. We're going to start having those contests coming up in February. So um, not this week as we kind of work out the details, but starting off February, everybody who's at the producer level or higher on the on the uh, Patreon account will be able to be part of that contest, plus access to our Slack group, game recommendations, all sorts of cool stuff that we put up there on a regular basis. So check it out. If you haven't yet, check it out because it's no longer a thing that might happen. It's a thing that is definitely going to happen (laughs) starting next week. Yeah, there's so many benefits from joining Team BGA. First off, our tremendous gratitude. We love doing this podcast for you. We love giving you the best recommendations and games, helping you avoid the worst games possible and building the community. Obviously, being a Patreon helps us a great deal in doing that. Joining us on a Slack group is tremendous fun. As Anthony mentioned, there's a lot of back rewards on there. And there's also special Patreon episodes that we do that are available for you all the time. And we take suggestions for our Patreon backers of what to do next. So if you have favorite games or an idea or something you like to do, you are our producers. So help us produce great content for more board gamers out there and get the love of your game out to more people. So we are super, super excited for that. So if you haven't joined us yet on patreon.com backslash BGA, check it out. See the rewards there. Obviously, games is probably a great reward. So we want you to join us and help us grow so that we can produce more episodes and more content for you on obviously the podcast, on the YouTube channel, in person, at conventions. There's a whole bunch of things to check out there. And if you don't see a backer reward that you might be interested in, reach out to us and we'll see what we can do. Maybe you'll put up a new backer level there for you. So Anthony and I are super excited about that. Don't miss out on the contest. Join today so that we can send something your way. All right, Anthony, so that's a lot of great stuff that's going on with Team BGA. Super duper excited about this. And we have so much to do on this episode, especially as you mentioned at the start, we have brand new backers to join us here. But let's get on to the episode itself. 
what does our listeners have to say? What's our question of the week? All right. Yeah. So my question of the week this week, uh, we put this up earlier in the week, was with so many reprints and re-implementations lately, it's not new to the hobby, but there's certainly been a lot of them, high profile ones of late. What do you still have on your Grail game list? So what games have not been reprinted recently or recently enough for for you, the listeners, that you have a big hole in your collection still? So got a few good answers here. Kind of funny. Several of these I do own. So like, and not necessarily like, oh, I got lucky and I bought it then. It was, ah, I got to hunt these down. So I'm in the same boat as a lot of these people. Michael mentions Rococo. I love Rococo. We were just talking about Rococo and it's out of print. So it definitely needs to come back. Yes. Yeah. I managed to find a copy for a normal price at a local store and I, I snapped it up. I haven't played it yet, but I was like, oh, can't find it anywhere else. So this is mine. But did you find the expansion jewelry box? No, I did not. <laughs> See, that's something that I'm really bummed out about because it really brings a lot to the game and it's super out of print and it's going for, I guess, jewelry box prices right now. So, yeah, yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, no, it's crazy. Um, David mentions Bruges as another game that's out of print. I also managed to pick up a copy of this locally and it also didn't come with the expansion, which is also out of print and also very expensive. <laughs> That's um, one of my favorite felds. Actually, it's my favorite feld. And if you check on the website, I think it's in my top 10 or so. I don't know, top 10, 20, top 20 of best games of all time for me. Yeah, it's such a good game. Not my favorite feld, but obviously very highly ranked. So uh, along a lot of people. Chris mentions the expansions for the Oh My Goods uh, series. And those are both like story-based expansions. I do have both of these. One of them I imported because they had solo modes to add to the game. And I love Fister stuff. But I don't even know if the second one came out here. The first one did for like a month and then it sold out. And then they're like, I don't know, maybe we'll reprint it. Maybe we won't. It's a shame because those really do add a lot to the game. David mentions Rune Wars, the original 4X, um, not the miniatures game. And that's another one that it's a shame that's not in print. Chad says Ginkopolis and Pillars of the Earth expansions. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's crazy Ginkopolis is still out of print. There's no IP on it. It's very popular. Why is it not coming back? And it's a very abstract game, so they could totally just put a new IP on it. I know it's one of the favorite games of our friend Dave. I got a chance to play this a couple of times, and I actually enjoy the game a lot, so I'm not really sure why this game isn't out yet. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Drew did the obligatory mention of Glory to Rome, which is on many, many. And then Carlos mentions Russian Railroads, which is another game that I'm like, how is this out of print? Come on, Z-Man. Like, come on. See, that's the that's funny. We were just talking about that at game night and that came up again that someone hadn't played that. And I was like, oh, we have Russian railroads. We just don't have German railroads. He's like, well, should I play it? I'm like, yeah, you, you should. But it really needs German railroads. And we're like, could not find it between the think of the 10 of us. No one had a copy of it. So really bummed out about that. Yeah, it seems to be a theme here. Like if you see an expansion come out for a euro that you like, just buy it. Don't even. You don't even have to play it. Just buy it because it's going to go out of print in a month and no one's ever going to reprint the stupid thing. Uh, <laughs> like they're hard to find. For me, I think a, a game that I'm really interested in, and it'll probably get reprinted because they seem to be reprinting these, is the 1999 20-year-old like, splatter game, Roads and Boats. Mm -hmm. After playing Food Chain Magnet, I've been able to track down and get a chance to play or try or pick up a lot of their other stuff like Indonesia, uh, Great Zimbabwe. This is not one that I've even seen a copy of. So I'm hoping they bring this one back eventually. Yeah, there's a lot of great games that 
I was hoping and praying that they would eventually get out because, as you mentioned, typically expansions are the ones that just disappear and never come back. I think another one that recently disappeared and has been gone and just out of sight completely is uh, Clash of Cultures has an expansion. I think Mm. it brings in elephants and different warfare. Everyone raves about it and nobody can find it. And Clash of Cultures is kind of old, so I don't know if it's ever going to come back, and that's that bums me out. I tend to be the kind of person that if I think I'm going to like the game, I'll buy all the expansions at the same time because I have issues. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, it, sometimes it's a very good thing because I have expansions like, as you mentioned, I have the expansion for Bruges, and I, I love having that. And as you mentioned, it's one of those things where it's a ridiculous amount of money. I guess for me, the ones that I'm looking forward to, at least, are both thankfully coming out. First up, Defenders of the Realm, which is one of my favorite games. It's been my number one, number two for God knows how long, is getting a reprint Kickstarter from Eagle Griffin Games. So super excited about that. Although a little kind of upset because I have, I think, almost everything for it. So what am I going to do with everything now? (laughs) And I think we have, Anthony, you and I have the same problem with Suburbia, which is we have pretty much everything for it, including the insert. And now they have this Uber version on Kickstarter, which I am still looking at. And I just, man, it's bad. There's a very good chance I buy that. And I really shouldn't. There's a very good chance. (laughs) (laughs) Same here. And I guess the final game that I was really looking forward to having a reprint, and I had just seen it once. I saw it once way back in the day at Myriad Games. And just just in passing, never got a chance to play. I think someone brought it to the table and said, hey, I bought this game. And we we're like, oh, that that's kind of cool. And we just passed, you know, we were doing something else. Uh, I believe it's pronounced, I believe. And when I say believe, I mean, I'm going to butcher this. Predaporta. And that's the game from Ignacy Trevicek. And I, he co-designed the game. And basically, it's about clothing companies. And it's very fashionable. And it's got you know, this woman on the runway. So once again, it typically is a theme that uh, I don't know, say would say stereotypically, maybe guys would not want to play. I want to play it. And they talked about this game getting reprinted with a new IP. And it was going to be about video game creation, which would also have been awesome. But it seems like they're going to bring it back in the dressmaking format, which is still awesome. And I hear it's a really great, heavy kind of Euro. That's a really fun, different theme that we haven't seen. So really excited to get this one out to the table as well. Yeah, yeah, I saw this one. It's actually on our list. We're going to talk about it a little bit later. Yay! Because uh, it's, kick- it's coming to Kickstarter later in the year, which is awesome. So extra bonus stuff, right? But is it is it awesome these games are going to Kickstarter? Well, I guess we'll see what they charge for it. <laughs> <laughs> you say that now, but when it gets to Kickstarter and it's like, I don't know, $95 and then $45 for shipping. And it becomes painful, Anthony. I'm just just saying. It's a thing. Okay, well, now I'm less excited. Thank <laughs> you for that. So. Now we're super excited. Super excited thing. All right. Yeah, we're going to go broke. Yay. <laughs> All right. So there are great things that are upcoming. So keep us up to date. Let us know what you're hearing about, what games you'd like to get reprint. Because here's the thing. We talk to designers, we talk to publishers all the time. If there's a great game out there, Spirium, that people have not had the chance to play, Spirium, or 
have not gotten it into their hands because it just disappeared, Spirium, or didn't get an expansion, Spirium. Uh, it would be a great time to reach out to us and tell us about that great game, Spirium, and we can let those designers and publishers know that you want to play that game. Just letting you know, hit us up and put us to work for you. All right, Anthony, so that's our question of the day. There is so much goodness. We are going to get hit by everyone on our social media, on Facebook and Twitter and everything else. But let's get on to the games that we really want to get to the table. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders. So what do you have up for us this week? Yeah, so you mentioned Predaporter, and that was part of the Portal Games keynote. They had like a little convention this last week um, to celebrate their 20th anniversary. And of course, they announced a whole bunch of stuff I want. So <laughs> all the things I'm going to talk about. There, so the first thing is there's a couple of new things coming for Detective, um, which is one of my favorite games from last year. They have an L.A. crimes, like 80s themed thing. Mm -hmm. um, they're the signature series where they're getting like famous people to write cases. I think Rob Davio is doing the first one. OK. And that. then and this is not I don't know if I'm so excited about this, but it's interesting that it exists. They're doing an Alexa version of Detective. Oh, not happy about that. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it seems dumb, but it's cool that they're investing in it. It's not like First Martians, which crashed and we never got any expansions. People bought Detective and now I get more content for it. So I'm happy. <laughs> I would love to see um, a true Detective HBO version of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Um, yeah, so that's Detective, which is awesome. The big, big thing, though, this is a top 10 game for me, is a bunch of new Imperial Settlers stuff. So Imperial Settlers is now a f almost four-year-old game five-year-old game i think it's almost a five-year-old game and it gets an expansion every year year and a half whenever he feels like it it's, it's kind of sporadic um there's a lot of content for it but it hasn't been like every three months you get a new pack right um but this year we're getting a bunch so the first one is empires of the north which is a standalone card game so it's not an expansion for the existing one it's a standalone one that uses kind of the same chibi artwork um and kind of quick card play uh, of like Imperial Settlers. But in this game, you're going to have different pre-constructed decks where you're like mashing up the different factions together. It sounds like several different types of games. So I don't know if it's like more of a, you know, smash up type of thing or a deck building type of thing or what it is, but it's Imperial Settlers as similar mechanics. I'm on board, whatever it is. Uh, seems like it's probably a little bit lighter and quicker uh, than Imperial Settlers, but we shall see. The second one, I am 100% on board with is Imperial Settlers Roll and Write. So <laughs> Roll and Writes are big right now. So why not? I just think it's funny that they just called it Imperial Settlers Roll and Write. Not the dice game, not something clever, just this is what it is. Roll and Write. That's what you want, right? Not really. Do. <laughs> no, I do. <laughs> You're a big fan no, of the Roll and Write. Uh, yeah, well, that is... But he knows that, and he knows who likes these because it comes with an adventure mode wow. for one player okay. with 48 unique game sheets. Okay. Right? So it's like a whole campaign in the box with a roll and write. So if the game is actually good, that'll be awesome. So hopefully the game is good. Well, um, I think that's because of you and Jason on your solo podcast, Every Night is Game Night, pushing Ignasi to bring this out. So well done, gentlemen. Well done. That's true. We did ask him about solo games and he was just like, oh, I guess we kind of like those. But now <laughs> uh, most of his games get a solo mode like after they're published. It's like someone will make one up and then they're just like, here, I guess people want this. Mm -hmm. And, it, you know, they do. So <laughs> there you go. The third thing uh, real quick is the Imperial Settlers Big Box. Mm. Now, 
I don't know if I'll pick this up because I already have all the content for this game. It'll depend on how much of an upgrade it is over what I already have. But it does come with a special insert. It comes with some special alternate faction boards for the different expansion factions. Um, A new set of common cards for the fifth anniversary edition. I don't know if any of that cosmetic stuff is enough to buy a second copy of the game. And I don't know what it's going to cost, but more Imperial Settlers is good. So, and if you haven't picked up any of the stuff, this might be a good chance to get all of it together because I don't know how easy it is to find all of this stuff at this point. So yeah, lots of Imperial Settlers for me to buy this. Yeah, I have the base set. I do like the game. I'm not in love with it like you are, but I think with the extra content, it probably bring the game up a lot higher for me. So I don't know. I guess it, 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 it all depends on what's in the box. So what's in the box, man? What's in the box? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if if it did have enough stuff for me to pick up the box, I'd pick it up. But I gotta be honest with you, I have a gigantic Smash Up box. I have a gigantic Scythe box. I have a gigantic Mystic Veil box. These are really big boxes. I mean, these are kind of unwieldy. I, I can't bring these to game nights typically because they're just so gigantic. You can't find a bag to fit them or how to kind of transport them. So I applaud this. I just don't know if in the end, these are always the best storage solutions possible. I don't know how big the box will be either because I have the original retail box and it has all of the stuff in it. All three deluxe expansions, all three small expansions. They all fit in Mm -hmm. there, barely. And if they do another one, it won't fit, but they all do fit. So I'm not sure how big of a box they really need here. But then again... Sometimes people just release really big boxes for no reason. Yeah, it might be one of those situations where they're like, oh, we're going to bring out 20 more expansions, but the 20 expansions will take 20 years. So you need extra room in the box. (laughs) So here's a half empty box. Have fun. (laughs) All right. So for me is a upcoming expansion that we already talked about in our acquisition disorders, but it finally is going to be released. It's going to get pre-ordered right now. This is from Splatter. This is the catch-up mechanic and other ideas. So talk about not really trying very hard to, to name your games here. Uh, <laughs> this is the expansion for Food Chain Magnet. And you, of course, need the base box for that. I, I don't know why they, they keep trying to tell people that. But maybe it's because the expansion is so obscenely expensive. Right now, it's 75 euros, I believe, or 80 or $89 American. So yeah, it's super, super expensive. So if you picked up Fuche Magnet at a pretty good discount, which I think it's probably right about the same amount as this expansion, I think that's going to throw you a bit. It threw me a little bit here. There isn't a huge amount of information out here about the expansion. It does say a couple of things that you should know. So first off, this expansion will allow you to play with six players. Now, I'm going to let Anthony respond to having extra players in a long Euro game. Anthony? Boo. (laughs) Why would you want six people playing this game? Well, you don't want to go home at night. It's so long already. It's so long. It's a really long game. I, I don't know why. I don't know what six players does that makes the game better. I think that's probably what it kind of throws me on that. Because I could only imagine everybody doing marketing and then you have to produce a crazy amount of things that's that's how i'm looking at it so that's one of the kind of additions here it also adds a new set of milestones that will completely change strategic options so some of those 
uh, might be some of the new things. So first house builds may stack trainers. You can double the amount of drinks hold by cards, trucks, and Zeppelins. There's obviously some stuff you've, you've heard before and some new things. The first trainer played no longer needs to fire employees if broke. If you are able to sell a burger, cooks require no salary. So there's some things you've heard, some new things. We'll have to see how that kind of interacts with the base game. It's also going to add, and this seems a little odd, at least for the time that this game is set, it's going to have coffee and baristas, uh, places where people can stop on their way to get food. So there might be some sort of mechanic where as you're kind of like tracking the distance from your restaurant to the house, if it's in between or on the way where there's a coffee shop, you might get some bonus money for that. So that might work, although it doesn't really fit the time period, but okay. There's also new tiles with different types of buildings. That's awesome. New food types that attract customers in different ways. Love it. There's new employee cards and available promotions. Excellent. And then there's ketchup, which they have not explained what it is, but there's ketchup in the game. So yeah. So that is the brand new expansion, the ketchup mechanic and other ideas from Food Chain Magnet. Super expensive. Right now, if you go to Splatter's website, you can pick it up as far as pre-order is concerned. And because it's an expansion, as Anthony mentioned earlier, it might disappear because unfortunately Splatter has a, I guess, history of games going out of print or games being really hard to find. Obviously, Roads and Boats will be coming back out, so that's pretty awesome. But who knows when these things will come out or get reprinted again. So definitely check it out. It's worth just taking a look at and see if it's something you're interested in. All right, Anthony, so we talked about the games we want to see at the table. Let's talk about the games that actually hit the table this week. So for our At the Table with Board Gamers Anonymous, we want to talk about what games you should run out and buy, what games you should sit down and play, what games you should dodge, and which games you should outright burn. All right, Anthony, so what did you get to the table this week? All right, this is one I've been excited for for a very long time, going back to, well, not that long, I guess, because they only announced it in October, but <laughs> it's a, a big, big release at Essen, and that was Alex Fister's new game, Blackout Hong Kong. This is a, I mean, the theme doesn't really matter, but I guess I'll just run through it real quick because it does impact the aesthetic of it. The idea is there's a blackout in Hong Kong, surprise, and you are working together with various volunteers to try to do your part in keeping everybody safe and eventually fixing the problem. As I said, the theme is almost non-existent in terms of mechanics. Where it comes through is the fact that everything in the game is black and (laughs) hard to see in some cases, And of course, because the component quality is not amazing, it is easy to see the wear on things fairly quickly, like out of the box quickly. So that is what it is. It's one thing you've probably heard a lot about the game. So get that out of the way up front. Mechanically speaking, though, the part that I'm most interested in, we have a very, very interesting game. And it has some interesting, familiar stuff if you've played uh, Mombasa or some of Fister's other games. In the game, you have this map. And it looks at first, it looks kind of like pandemic. Uh, I remember when they first announced it, I was like, is this cooperative? Because that would be bad. I'm not interested in that. It's not. It's a competitive euro. But it does have a map with cubes and little dots all over, you know, uh, this big sprawling space with lines between them. And the reason for that is these represent different locations where you're going to be putting out resources based on actions you take and hopefully for yourself surrounding different areas so you can score points. 
So very Euro-y. There's also a little resource collection wheel in the middle of the board, um, represents the six different resources in the game. Every round, you're going to roll three dice, one red, one blue, one yellow, and they're going to represent different resources you can get. And then you're going to play cards from your hand that represent each of these different colors to get those resources. So let's say you've rolled medical supplies on the red die and you play a red card, you're going to get medical supplies. But if you rolled food on the red die, you would get food when you play the red card. So what you get is going to depend on what comes up on the dice every round, which is kind of an interesting idea. You get this little player mat in front of you. It actually lists every step of the game in ascending order, which is pretty cool because there is a lot going on here, but not a, so much you couldn't figure it out. But with these mats, it makes the game fairly easy to teach. You say, here's the board. Here's what it does. Where's where you're going. Now here's step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And that's it. We're just going to do that over and over again until the game is over. So what you do on your throughout the, the round is you roll those dice. You figure out what's going to be. Everybody places three cards face down in front of them into columns. So if you've played Mombasa, this will look familiar. You have columns of cards that are going to fill up as you play out to them. And you can unlock a fourth one uh, if you spend the resources for it down the road. And then in the second stage, you're going to flip all those cards over and take the actions one at a time. So some of the cards are pretty straightforward. It's just get X resources, and that's what you'll do. Other ones give you special abilities and allow you to do things with those resources in different ways. So you start the game with a certain number of cards in your hand, but later on, you'll be able to get new ones by completing objectives. So the step three on your board is the objective space where you have three up to three possible cards you can complete, plus kind of a, a checklist of objectives um, to add at like a higher level to complete. And if you give the things that it's asking for, and it's usually some combination of resources, then you get some kind of reward, but also the card. You'll, you'll generate that card and be able to put cubes out on the map. So you're expanding your hand a little bit that way. and getting uh, positioning on the map where you can hopefully score more points that way as well. There's a scouting mechanic, which allows you to go out and look at different tiles that are placed all over the map. So there's three in each of these different sections. You get to pick those up, look at them. And if you have the resources on them, you can spend the different scout um, icons from your hand or that you've collected throughout the game and gain something from that tile. You also get to keep the tile and it can help you in various different ways. It's worth points, but it's also can add to your scouting ability down the road. You can pick up new objectives in the next step from the pool that's available off to the side of the board. Really, the cost of them depends on how many are in each row and if you have space available to put them. But it's kind of an interesting spin on deck building where you are buying new cards and putting them in in front of you, but you don't get them into your hand until you complete the objectives on the cards. So it's very slow <laughs> building up your hand, but it's definitely something worth doing. There's a cleanup step. If you have any food and water left over, you sell those off for money. Uh, you don't get to keep that stuff between rounds. And then you secure districts. So if anybody has surrounded a district with their cubes, they get to score the points for that throughout the game. You're going to do that several times. And if you have few enough cards in your hand, you will draw back up one of those columns. So at the beginning, it's four or less. Later, you can upgrade it so that it's six or less. Uh, and it's always going to be the column with the most cards in it. And the reason this is interesting, and this is something you have to think about a bunch, is that there are several different objectives and things you'll want to complete where it says you need to have two blue, a yellow, and a purple in one column. 
And so if you know you're going to pick up a column soon and you don't have that many cards in your hand, you might take a different action to try to get more cards into your hand so that you don't have to pick up that column so that you can complete the objective the next round. There's a lot of moving parts here. It's very easy to accidentally mess up your own strategy if you're not thinking ahead like that because, oh no, the column I need is gone. I have to do that completely from scratch now uh, because I wasn't paying attention and I had to draw my hand. Generally in games, getting more cards back in your hand is a good thing. And it generally is here as well, but not always. So <laughs> you do have to be careful with that. You do also get these special abilities that are gonna unlock throughout the game. So I mentioned securing the districts. When you do that, you get to put a little house out on the map, which unlocks a ability that you can utilize when you do refresh your hands. So you have little check mark actions. There's some on cards that you've completed. So if you complete different objectives, you might have a card with a check mark action that you can take. And most of these are like trade X for Y, and it's usually a good trade for you. So you can kind of build up and trade things up, but you can only take these check mark actions if you draw your hand up. So that's a thing people seem to forget a lot and they do it every round. You can't do it every round. You just do it when you draw your cards. So that's Blackout Hong Kong. The game is relatively smooth in that way. Like it seems like a lot going on, but like it's all printed on the board. It all makes sense. It all flows together very nicely. It reminded me of Mombasa in that way where there's just so many different things, but it all just kind of goes, right? It's very streamlined. It works. It's elegant despite the fact there's so many pieces on the board and it, it just it's really intriguing mechanically i really like that um the game is like i said relatively quick to teach it is not necessarily quick to play even with everybody knowing how to play you're looking at a three plus hour game just because it takes a while to get through and do all these things the game ends essentially when you complete all, when you run through the deck of cards, when all the objective cards have been purchased, and the game will remove some of those cards every round if you don't purchase them, but it still takes a while, especially with four players. So expect the games to be relatively long. It doesn't really speed itself up in any ways, uh, even if you know the game well. So it's like Mombasa in that way. There's no short way to play that game. But I think it's still fun in that way. The only issues I have with this, I mentioned at the top, it's not pretty to look at. Green shots, you might even think, oh, that looks nice. The production quality here is just not very good. It's not it's not the worst I've seen, but it's not great. And I don't know if they rushed it out the door or whatever happened, but this is an Eggerspiel game, so it's 70 bucks, and it just doesn't feel like up to the quality I would want for that. Honestly, and there aren't enough components in the box to justify that. It reminds me of Heaven and Ale, which I picked up for 70 as well, and it's just like, there's barely anything in this box. The gameplay is good, that's fine, but what are you charging this much for? And then the other issue is, and I don't know if I've played it enough yet to say this is actually a problem, but early on, people have already pointed this out, is opening strategies tend to be kind of the same, like what you want to do. Like you're going to heal your leader pretty quickly. You're going to use your medic card pretty quickly. You're going to build up certain objectives pretty quickly. And it's, I just feel like the first three or four turns of the game tend to look fairly similar. There's no like best place on the map to go and you don't know what the dice are going to come up as. There's plenty of randomness there, but you start with the same cards every time. You have the same objective sitting there every time and they might rotate between players, but it's generally the same stuff you're looking at. So replayability, I'm not sure yet. Overall, Blackout Hong Kong, I mean, it's, it's a really good game. We're not the kinds of people who get hung up on theme here, I don't think, too much, unless it's blatantly, blatantly awful. But, you know, it's a Euro, it's a Fister game. The theme is whatever it's there. I wish they'd done more with it. Cause it's kind of a cool idea, but 
it's, you know, it is what it is. Mechanics though, I really, really like it. And I just, I'm hoping it sticks and doesn't kind of wear out over time. Maybe expansion content or more cards will add to that down the road if it sells well. I think it's definitely worth a, a play, a strong play. Um, I can't really recommend a buy at that price, but if you know somebody who has a copy, if you were a fan of Alexander Fister games at all, definitely give it this one a shot, track it down and give it a play. For me, this is a very strange combinations of, hey, I love that designer. Hey, a blackout is kind of an interesting theme that I've never seen before. And then actually seeing this game at PAX Unplugged, I was really underwhelmed, at least by the look. Now, once again, like as you mentioned, it's not so much that the theme is bad. I, I love any time a theme is different than the traditional, hey, you're shipping a good or you're farming something here. So how you manage a blackout, awesome. How it looks on the table is, is really disappointing, as you mentioned, especially at that price point. So that was one of those things that just completely deflated this for me. But as you mentioned, again, it has a lot of those Mombasa mechanics where you're playing cards in a certain order and it's a little bit of a programming situation. So that brought me back. So I've been bouncing in and out of loving slash avoiding this game I guess for the last couple of months here. And as you mentioned, there was talk about this game being rushed out. So the production doesn't match, as you mentioned, Eckerd Spiel's usual quality, fight, you know, Fister's usual kind of like game presentation. And not just in the way it looks, but in somewhat in the ways you, it plays, as you mentioned earlier. So I'm looking forward to playing this, but let me ask you this. So if you haven't played a Fister before, where does this kind of rank for you? Is this kind of up there as far as like, hey, you should play this one. It's brand new. It's hot. Or should you try something else out that probably maybe represents him better? I don't know. Where, where's this fit as far as you're, you're concerned, Anthony? That's a good question. I don't know. Like he has the three big box games, this Great Western Trail and Mombasa. And I don't know that it's better than either of those games, but I don't think it's like worse, like significantly. So uh, I, honestly, if I was going to recommend a first game of the three, I might say Great Western Trail. It's relatively straightforward and it's, you know, has a it's well produced and it's easy enough to learn. Mombasa is really sure. good. I think it's still my favorite of the three. But this is this is a really interesting idea. It just it doesn't quite capture me the same way that Mombasa did or even Great Western Trail when I first played it, although over time that game had the same kind of replayability issues that I'm sensing here. So I, maybe that's why I'm, my hackles are up on this one, because like with Great Western Trail, you played it enough and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's starting to it's the, to show some edges. Um, obviously, that's a very popular game. It's top 20, top 30 game on BGG, but it's uh, it just didn't age well for me personally. But yeah, I mean, honestly, I think any of the three, uh, or just go with Isle of Sky, which is probably his tightest best you know overall simplification of game mechanics into one package but but yeah i mean it's up there it's a good game it's not a bad game it's just there's some issues and as you mentioned maybe when it comes out with an expansion maybe things get tweaked and maybe things get upgraded a little bit all right anthony so that's your recommendation let me talk about a game that i know you've had a chance to play and i've been trying to get my hands on for quite some time this is newton from Simone Luciani, one of our favorite designers, and Nestor Magan. This is one of his games in a long line of just really creative mechanics that has a more or less pasted on theme. 
But here, what we're looking at, as far as the theme is concerned, is it's around the middle of the 17th century, and the scientific method has come about, and there's a great change in in education, and we're talking about the scientific revolution, and there's great scientists out there. Obviously, here in particular, we're talking about Sir Isaac Newton, and in Newton, you take the role of a young scientist who wants to become one of the great geniuses out there, so you're going to travel around Europe and visit universities and study new theories and discoveries and be able to kind of like upgrade your reputation and your knowledge in the game. Now, the game itself, as I mentioned, because it is a very pasted on theme, and I mean seriously pasted on, not like I don't like the theme. I do like the theme. Education is something I'm totally down for. I have a ridiculous number of degrees, and and they're kind of pasted on too. So I'm definitely down for the idea of, you know, exploring and doing things such as that. Now, where the game kind of like brings you into the world is you will have the opportunity, kind of like Mombasa, to play a card and you have several in your hands and each of the cards has a special symbol on the bottom. Now, based upon what cards you play onto your board and every player board is a little, little, little asymmetrical because everyone has a symbol starting there, you're going to be able to take an action. Now, one of those actions might be able to take your scholar and move around Europe. As you move around Europe, you can place a cube at a different university because you've come and visited, you've learned, and maybe you'll have an opportunity to pick up some special resources. And it's just a a little benefit here, a little bonus there. Once again, since it's a a very pasted-on theme here in Newton, there's nothing like dramatically kind of storytelling here. But nonetheless, it's a little map board. You'll move around with the other players and you'll drop your cubes. And by dropping your cubes, you'll be able to kind of open up extra bonus points in the game. Now, by dropping those cubes are important because they're going to play a role in this large bookcase of knowledge that you're building. So on your own player board, where you'll be placing the cards in order to activate the different symbols that allow you to move around the Europe board, you'll also have the opportunity to play a card that allow you to, I guess, research and gain knowledge from these different books or these different places you visit. So you'll look at your board based upon how many kind of like book symbols that you have available. You'll be able to kind of block off one of those areas or check off one of those areas. So maybe you visit a certain university. Maybe you had a certain book on one of the cards. Great. Now you have an opportunity to fill up that bookcase. If you fill up the right number of sections in the right area, you'll gain victory points every round. This is going to be the major mechanic as far as scoring victory points going forward. So visiting the different universities, the different temples out there, all giving you knowledge, playing books as part of the cards or part of your special cards are going to be able to kind of like ramp up that kind of machine. So every round you're scoring additional victory points. There's also this tree of knowledge that you'll be able to kind of, you know, take your scientists and move out there. Once they reach a certain point, they're done. And you have to bring another scientist out there to take another track down. Once again, very abstract as far as what they're doing here. They're just following a certain path. They're picking up resources, whether it's money or whether it's victory points or whether it's end game victory points in the game. There's also a track that will just straight out give you money, which, of course, you need money. And as I mentioned at the start, you'll play cards onto this board. And based upon the symbols, you'll be able to take a certain strength of an action. So the more symbols are on the cards previously, 
or on the bottom, you'll be able to put additional little kind of markers there that will have that symbol. You'll gain a bigger and bigger power. So Newton is all about gaining knowledge, gaining information, traveling to get that information, and then bringing it back and marking it off on your board so your bookcase becomes more and more powerful. There are some special power cards. So if you've ever played Grand Austria Hotel, you know exactly what these cards look like. Or if you played Lorenzo, same type of mechanic, same artwork is here. So it's all about trying to maximize your engine to the best of the ability. It's a pretty fun game. There's a lot of opportunities to score points. As I mentioned, you have that Tree of Knowledge board. You have that European board. So there's a lot of ways in which you can score victory points throughout the game, plus the cards that you get at the beginning of the game will also score you points. But mainly, it goes back to the bookcase for Newton. That's basically where you're going to score your most points. And finally, you'll be able to pick up additional cards. These additional cards will give you better abilities than what you have in your initial cards. Some of the cards will have additional books. Some will score you additional money, additional points, and let you just do different things in the game. So that's one of the other kind of like mechanics in which you can kind of ramp up your deck building because at the end of each round, you're going to tuck a card, which seems bad, but it's going to give you that bonus symbol each and every round. There's a wild kind of joker card that lets you copy of ability or do basically anything you want. But in the end, it's an abstracted version of his other games. So if you do like Simone Luciani and his numerous other games like The Voyages of Marco Polo, Grand Austria Hotel, Lorenzo El Magnifico, Council of Four, he's just done a tremendous number of great games. You will probably like this game as well. I enjoyed this game because it had so many of the other mechanics that I liked in the other games, and it was different because here you're moving your people around in Newton instead of just picking up cards or rolling dice. That being said, Newton is the truest example of super pasted on theme that is super, super abstracted. It doesn't kind of educate or lend itself to any kind of storytelling or building up a particular machine that you're going to be proud of at the end. Like, oh, look, I did this thing. Basically, if you get a good card, you're going to play that card to the end of the game. It is possible to score a lot of points or score no points because you took a track that wasn't great for you. So a lot of good things if you like Simone Luciani's games, you're going to find in this game here. And it's fun because it's another way to play his games. Think like Uwe Rosenberg does like a whole number of different farming games. He tries it from all different angles. Well, Simone Luciani did the same thing here. It's just maybe not as good or in my estimation, not as good as his other games. I would recommend Marco Polo or Lorenzo Magnifico way before this. For me, I think this versus Grand Austria Hotel because Grand Austria Hotel, super swingy. Newton is super tight. So for Newton, I give it a play. It's a solid, lukewarm game. It's not going to blow you away, but it's not going to be thrown out of your collection either. It's funny. Yeah, I have the exact same thought. And I've had it for a little while now. I've played it a few times. It's it's like, yeah, this is good. I'm glad I have it. It's not nearly my favorite game of his, but it's not better yeah. than some other games, I guess. It's definitely like the very definition of, <laughs> yeah, I give it a play. Yeah, it's, you know? it's definitely one of those situations. When you've played his other games and you want to try his stuff in a different way, this is definitely uh, something to check out. All right, Anthony, so that's the games that are hitting our table. Let's talk about our feature review. 
All right, so for our feature review, we are taking a look at Board Game Geek's hotness for January 2019. All the games that everyone's talking about at the table, we're going to bring you some information about those so you have some good stuff to talk about at the game table. All right, Anthony, so what do you have for us this week? Uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of new stuff here, too, so we have a, a few new ones to go over. All right, so number 15 on the list, and uh, this is a game we haven't really talked about on this podcast, but I did talk about it on Every Night's Game Night, and it's a, it's a bit of a hot game right now, and that's Architects of the West Kingdom. This is the newest uh, game from the designer of Raiders of the North Sea. It's a clever take on worker placement. Uh, it's more like worker investment. So you have 20 workers, you place them out in different places and you try to amplify your powers, but people can capture your workers and ransom them to you to make money. So kind of an interesting idea. Uh, I, I like the game quite a bit. I don't know that it's as revolutionary as uh, everybody who some people claim, but it is it's very interesting. A little bit of a take that in a euro. Number 14 is a game that I've talked about ad nauseum <laughs> over the last three, four months. And that's Teotihuacan, City of Gods. Uh, this is my game of the year from 2018. And I think a new batch finally got out to people in stores. And it's probably still out of print. But some new ones got out there. Some people were able to buy this game. So that's why we're seeing it kind of hop up here on the, the hotness right now. Uh, next up, number 13, is Dinogenics. All I know about this game is that it was the other Kickstarter game about running a dinosaur park. Um, came out shortly after Dinosaur Island. And ironically, this is the one I almost backed because it didn't have like the neon glow aesthetic that uh, Dinosaur Island had, which I now love. At the time, I was like, oh, <laughs> it's too much. This is uh, a little bit just more stuff going on here. It also has a bunch of dinosaur meeples that are different they look to be wood so the price is a little bit higher people do seem to be liking it but i think it's shipping out right now to backers so that's why it's up here on the list next is a gmt game and these release every now and then when they get the prints up it's space core so space core is by john butterfield and john butterfield is known for games like d-day at omaha beach ambush raf the battle of night britain 1940 so Lots of war games. This is a space game, however, and not a particularly heavy or long space game, considering it's from GMT. It's a sub three weight game, takes somewhere between one and three hours. Actually looks pretty interesting. It's something I might check out just because it has a lot of very interesting mechanics that are not horribly complex. It's not spreadsheety and flowcharty. I like a good sci-fi game. Next up, we have a game, Chris, you mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Predaporter. This is getting a reprint via Kickstarter sometime this year. So we will get to see the, the new third edition of this game sometime in the next year, probably. Next up from there, we have Iwari. This is a re-implementation of Web of Power uh, designed by Michael Shatt. Michael Shatt was, is the designer of Zuloretto, Coloretto, um, all those games that are mega giant sellers. Web of Power is one of its early games. And Thundergriff is bringing back um, with this new, beautiful-looking skin, um, Iwari. Uh, very, very interested in this. It's just, I don't know anything about it. It's just an abstract Euro game, which automatically is interesting. But um, uh, the artwork is, is very colorful and evocative and bright, which is, is always a nice thing. Next up on the list is Vindication. Vindication is a game that somehow slipped through our radar um, when it was on Kickstarter the first time, but is now back up on Kickstarter and kind of 
took everybody by storm when it shipped to backers, hit a lot of top 10 lists for people who did play it. It is a big, sprawling Euro slash Ameritrash type of game. Kind of fits that mold of a Kickstarter game that can only exist on Kickstarter. So right now it is back up. Um, you can back it if you are interested and miss it the first time around. And I believe it has a couple of weeks left as we're recording. So that is definitely something worth checking out if you like those big kind of like Gloomhaven-y mashups of different types of mechanic. All right, next up on the list, we have a classic Terraforming Mars. A modern classic, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> moving back up on the list because it's Terraforming Mars. It's the number four game of all time. Uh, it is... There's all the rumors and talk about Terraforming Mars Legacy going around uh, from whatever random podcast that Bonacor let that slip on. And the new expansions should be announced soon. So we'll get some new stuff this summer. Next up there is Lord of the Rings, the Journeys in Middle-Earth. This is the new Descent hybrid app-driven game uh, with Lord of the Rings theming that is coming from Fantasy Flight in, it seems like April is probably when this one's coming out. Um, I'm interested in this, but I got to tell you, I, I don't know if I have enough room in my collection for yet another a descent clone i have descent and i have imperial assault i'm like i don't need it's a lord of the ring looks really good i know it's a hundred dollars all right speaking of over a hundred dollars gloomhaven next here on the list it's gloomhaven it rises it falls it's always on the top of the list because it's always there and i know this from my local store because they got 25 copies in the other day a new print run just came in so a lot of people are picking this up now jumping it up the list a little bit uh, another game that just had a new print run come in is Root, and that bumped it up on the list here. Uh, I know a lot of people locally have been picking this up as well because it's finally available after four or five months of not being available anywhere except at conventions. The next one, getting into the top three here, we have Wingspan. This is the newest game from Stonemeyer Games, and it is all about birds and building an aviary. Um, so a designer, Elizabeth Hargrave, has built a just beautiful looking game. I haven't had a chance to play it myself personally, but it is a engine builder in which you have all these different types of birds. You have a bird feeder dice tower, um, these little eggs. Uh, it's just, as usual, it's a spectacular production from Stonemeyer. I'm very eager to play it, and it is slowly filtering its way into different people's game collections because they had a pre-order, so that's why it's up here on the list. Next one up is Tuki. Tuki is the newest from Next Move Games, and therefore you know it is an abstract. It's got little polyomino pieces based on, like, and you're going to place them based on the dice rolls that you make, and there's little patterns on cards you're trying to match. The The most interesting thing to me is that it's by the designer of Ubongo, which is a famous, relatively simple, puzzly game, but it heavily features polyominoes and kind of a timer mechanism. Uh, so I'm on board already with this um this is you know kind of the next in their line of azul and you know azul stained glass of sintra and um reef so this is the game that'll probably come out at origins this year and then finally number one this is a brand new game that just got announced a few days ago uh aftershock it's from first time designer bobby west working with alan moore of ticket to ride fame it's coming from stronghold but it's going through kickstarter i'm not sure stronghold's done a kickstarter before but the company that they're now a part of, uh, Indie Board and Cards, whatever they're calling themselves now, um, has done a bunch of Kickstarters. So 
I have a feeling we'll see a few new games from them hit Kickstarter soon. Can't quite tell how this game plays yet. The whole idea is that you're trying to rebuild San Francisco. It's destroyed by an earthquake. And so it's an area control game where you're trying to like have the most influence as you help rebuild the city. But you're buying cards and building stuff, of course. But then you're also negotiating with people to decide where you score things on the different placement boards. I'm very interested to see how negotiation plays into what looks to be kind of a Euro-y city building game. Uh, I don't know if that's for me necessarily, but it looks interesting. The artwork looks horrible. I will say that. It is not a pretty looking game, but the mechanics sound interesting. So there you have it. All the games currently on the BGG hotness, uh, and it will change tomorrow. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> These are the games that we saw when we recorded this episode for you guys. Yeah, I think the one game that's been sticking around, and then you mentioned because it's gotten the, the release, is Wingspan. Everyone's talking about Wingspan. Have you played Wingspan? Do you know where Wingspan is? Does anyone have Wingspan? I feel like I have to get Wingspan now. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I was, I was, it's not that I'm not interested in it. I just had no desire to get it early or pre-order it. I was like, someone will get it near me. But now, like, the buzz has got, you know, this fever pitch. I'm like, I gotta play this stupid game now. <laughs> I blame the Bird Box movie, but let's leave that for another time. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. So that's everything for this week. We are so glad that you joined us for this episode and so glad to have you as part of Team BGA. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table. <laughs> <laughs>